Amen. You can be seated. Well, last week we talked about this passionate pursuit of Jesus. We said a few things. We said that ultimately we're not building a resume, that we're building a relationship. That ultimately we're not pursuing a standard, that we're pursuing a person. That ultimately it's not about spiritual activity only. That the goal is spiritual intimacy with Jesus. Right? So that's why we come in here on a Sunday to gather and worship together. That's why we go to our community groups during the week to look at scripture, to do life with one another. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we serve the church, Jesus, and others. It's to get more of him. That's what we said last week. Paul said it this way, that everything's a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. That was the, the sermon last week, that we have a passionate pursuit in Jesus, that he's our ultimate reward. Now, what can happen in a message like that, after a message like that, is a lot of us can get really fired up, right? We can say, yeah, it's not about a list. It's about a person. It's not about a standard. It's about a, a person. And we can get really fired up, and we can say, man, I want to pursue Jesus. I want to count everything as a loss like Paul did. I want to get everything else out of my life that doesn't help me pursue the ultimate reward, Jesus. And we can go and we can get really fired up about that and get really excited about that. And then a couple things can happen. Right, one of those things is Monday, all right? On Monday, we go to work before we even get to work. Our car doesn't start, right? Our kids are just crazier than ever before. And we literally, as our kids are screaming in the background, we say, Jesus, don't you know I want to pursue you? Why is this happening? <laughs> How am I supposed to pursue you and have my, even my devotional time when my kids are going nuts in the background? How am I supposed to pursue you at work when my car won't start to get me to work? And we get distracted by busyness, by just life, right? And the second thing that happens is we fail. Right? Maybe your car does start. Maybe your kids are great. But you go to work, you go to school, and because of passivity, because of sin, you don't pursue Jesus like you ought. That excitement that you had on Sunday doesn't carry over with you to Monday. You just think, I'm going to look at sports. I'm going to go buy some things. That's more tangible. I can see it. That was really exciting yesterday, but... I don't know if it's practical. Like, I don't even know what that would even look like to pursue Jesus. And we fail, and we choose lesser things over greater things. And we sin. And so a lot of us have experienced this. Maybe you experienced it this week. Like, maybe this was you this week. You said, I want to know Jesus. I want to love Jesus. I want to make him my ultimate pursuit in life. And then this week, at some point, you failed, and you're wondering, how do I proceed? You're wondering if you're honest, maybe even sitting here this morning, is this realistic? Is this possible? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. As we look at Philippians chapter 3, we're going to see how this is worked out, this ultimate pursuit of Jesus. So grab a Bible, head to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right on the floor in front of you. Grab that, turn to Philippians 3, and let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. I pray that you would bless the working out of your word in our lives. 
God, that you would remove distractions. You would remove the busyness in our life. You would remove even the, the concept of that we're failures, um, that we can't even come to you, we can't even approach you because we've, we've gone too far, we haven't done this well, and so we don't even want to look at your word and look to you and see how you can move in our lives because we think we've already failed too much. God, I pray that you would remove that in our lives. This morning, we would be able to fix our eyes upon you and see this ultimate pursuit that you have called us to, you also empower us to live out and to see how that happens in a practical way. Father, help us as we look at your scriptures now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12. Verse 12 says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So if you look at the passage, you see Paul saying, not that I've already obtained this. So we have to ask, what is this? Well, it's what we talked about last week. It's the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. It's that ultimately in verse 11, this knowing Jesus will result in a resurrection. Like Paul says in the previous passages in verse 11, that ultimately there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. The idea that we'll know Jesus now, but we get to know Jesus forever. That ultimately we get to see Jesus face to face, that we get a glorified body just like his, and we go to heaven to be with him. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, that's what Jesus has promised for you. And Jesus says that himself in John 17, that this is eternal life. It's that you know me, it's that we know Jesus, and we get to do that forever. And so that's the this. So Paul is saying, not that I've already obtained this. And he makes it clear. Right? He makes it clear a couple times in multiple ways. He says in verse 12 that he's not perfect. He says, listen, I'm not already perfect. He hasn't made this his own, meaning he's still living on the earth in a fleshly body. Right? He, he's not experiencing that resurrection yet. He doesn't know Jesus perfectly yet. In verse 13, he repeats himself. He says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's emphasizing again, I'm not there yet. I have limitations. I'm not perfect. I have failures in my life. This journey, this pursuit of Jesus isn't complete yet. I'm not done yet. There's limitations in that. In fact, he says he's forgetting what lies behind. So he has a past. Paul has a past. We read about it in the, in the verses before. His past is religion. Religion was an idol for Paul. So much so that he went on to kill people in the name of religion. So he's saying, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm moving forward. So Paul makes it clear that he doesn't have this all together yet. That this relationship with Jesus, this pursuit of Jesus, he's not done yet. Right? He hasn't seen Jesus face to face. He hasn't resurrected to, gone to go to be with Jesus yet. That hasn't happened yet. Paul wants to make that clear and this is something we can all relate to, Right? As we walk in here this morning, I don't think any of us would say, like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I got fired up last week just because I was already done with that. 
Like, I know the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Like, it's in the bag. Any of you here say that? No, there's, there's things we all walk in, in here thinking, this is in my life, it shouldn't be. I don't have this figured out about Jesus yet. I'm not sure what he's doing in this area of my life yet. I'm not sure how to really love and pursue my wife in a godly way. I'm not sure really how to lead out in declaring and demonstrating the gospel. There's all these things in our life that are incomplete. Paul is saying it's the same for him. And this is mind-blowing if you know Paul's story. Acts 9, you should go back and read it. Paul has this radical transformation. He meets Jesus, and his life is completely transformed. And he goes on to, to do things out of response to that. He leads multitudes to Jesus. He, he performs signs and wonders and does miraculous things in the name of Jesus. He goes on to write two-thirds of our New Testament. Right, this is the Apostle Paul, and yet he's saying, I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. Why does he emphasize this? Well, quite simply, it's true. Right? That's where he is in life, so he addresses it. There's an article in Forbes magazine that I was reading that talked about that failure is important for success, right? Failure is important for success. It talked about a convention in California where all these leaders, investors, developers, and business owners get together and they study their failures, not just like failure in theory. They go back and look at their own failures, at the failures of others, and they see like, why is that there? How did that happen? Where is it rooted? So that they can experience success. They have a whole convention to address their failures, the failures of others. A lot of times, we won't address our failures because it's too painful, because we're not sure how we would overcome that failure. We don't even look at it. So when we spend time with Jesus, even though he knows everything about our life and he knows our failures, we won't mention it, right? We won't talk about our sin. We won't experience confession because it's too painful to think about. Or we'll do it in vague ways. Like if you struggle with lust, you won't say like, I struggle with lust and adultery of my heart. You won't say that to God. You'll say things like, you know, sometimes I look at things. Sometimes I flirt with this girl, but it's just because, you know, marriage is hard. It's hard to keep that going, that love, that passion. We'll mask our failures. We won't admit them. When we're talking to other people, they say, how's your week going? We'll just say, well, I'm busy. I'm tired. We won't say, like, man, my kids, I don't know. I'm at a loss. Like, seriously, I'm at a loss, and I don't know how to correct their behavior. I mean, every time I try to discipline, it just gets worse, and I don't know how to be a parent. I'm at a loss. We don't say that. We say, no, man, the kids are crazy. You know how that is. <laughs> You know how that goes? And we'll mask our failures to others and to Jesus. What Paul is modeling for us is that we need to come to a place where we admit our failures. Listen, this is the Apostle Paul. He's saying, for everything God has done in my life, I'm not already perfect. I'm not seeing Jesus face to face yet. I'm not to the end of this pursuit yet. I have limitations. We need to address that even when it's painful. We need to address it. That's the only way we'll overcome it is by addressing it. So that's the first reason. Paul addresses it. We need to address our failures. We need to address it. We need to do that with Jesus, and we need to do it with others. But there's a second reason Paul addresses this, 
And he's addressing specifically a group of people called the Judaizers, who in that day, the Judaizers were people who, they believed in Jesus, right? So they thought Jesus was a good thing. Yeah, you should believe in Jesus, but also you should fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law. That believing in Jesus wasn't enough. You had to do all these other things. So circumcision was a part of that. All the rituals from the Old Testament, all the laws from the Old Testament. There were ten commandments. A lot of us are familiar with those. But you need to know there was more than ten. Overall, there were 610 total commandments in the Old Testament. Some people count more, depending on how you look at the verses. So they believe that, believe Jesus is a good thing, but follow all of these commandments in addition. And if you do that, and you can actually do that, if you do that, you'll be perfect. Like perfection is something you can achieve here on this earth. So Paul knows that there's these group of people out there, and so he's going to address them specifically by saying, listen, I'm the apostle Paul, and I'm not there yet. And so he's saying a couple things about the Judaizers and this idea that we can be perfect. He's saying, listen, not only is that not true, it's not possible. Here's why. It's not true and it's not possible because Jesus came to do just that. Do you see that? The reason the Father sends Jesus onto this earth to live the perfect life is because we could not live that perfect life. If we could, then all of that was in vain. Jesus should have stayed in heaven, but he doesn't. He comes to earth to live the life that you could never live. Do you see that? You could never achieve this list, those 10 commandments, the 610 commandments. You can never achieve that. We can't achieve perfection. So Paul is making that clear. You can't do that. I can't do that. We need Jesus for that. He fulfills the law. Matthew 5, he says it himself. I fulfill the law. In Romans, it says that Christ is the culmination of the law. That he is everything that's perfect and true and that we follow him that we believe in him, that he does that on our behalf. So Paul is admitting his failure for a couple reasons to let people know, hey, I'm not there yet, and it's not even possible. You need to trust Jesus for that. And here's what that looks like. We see in these verses, look at the verses. He says to strain forward. This is language of the Olympics, like an athlete would strain forward in a race. He says press on. He says it twice. Why does he say it twice? And we need to look at Scripture and see, why do they keep repeating things? Well, Paul knows that our tendency is to quit, not persevere. And so he's saying, press on, press on, because he knows we need to be reminded of that. Why do we strain forward? Why do we press on? Verse 12, he says, because Jesus has made us his own. I love that. I love that. Like, I pursue Jesus, you pursue Jesus, because he has already pursued you. Do you see that? Like, you strain forward to get Jesus, not to one day be his, but because you already are his. That's the beauty of the Christian life. You make this his, your own because he has already made you his own. So when we talk about pursuing, persevering, straining forward, pressing on, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about an intimacy with Jesus, and that's what Paul is making clear. It's like dating my wife. So my wife and I have been married almost nine years, and before that we dated, right? Whatever you want to call it, courting, 
hanging out, talking. I don't know what you kids call it these days. Um, but we dated for like a year and a half. And so I would take her out. I would pick her up and, and bring her flowers. And we'd go do nice things. And I would write her notes and say nice things to her. But what happened? We got married. And um, that should continue, though, right? If you're a husband, you know that, right? You need to keep dating your wife. It doesn't end when you make the marriage vows. Like, you just continue to date your wife. No longer to get her to be your wife. She already is. So I still date my wife. Like, we planned a, a night away a few months ago in Scottsdale because I need to date my wife. We need to continue to pursue intimacy with one another. I need to bring her flowers. We need to find creative ways to connect, to go hiking, to go out to eat, to go to a movie, to say nice things to one another. Why? Because I need to get her to be my wife? No, she already is. And I know that my joy as a husband is always going to be incomplete if I don't continue to pursue her, if I don't continue to know her, to love her, to grow in my relationship with her. That's what we see as this pressing on, this straining for, this language of the Olympics, this perseverance is to get more of Jesus. Do you see that? You do it because you already are his own. You're not trying to attain that. That should be freeing for you. That you have a God who has forgiven, accepted, and loved you, who has you. You're in his grip, and you just get to enjoy more of that. And so Paul is saying, press on for that. Strain forward for that. It's a, it's a life of perseverance, even when we fail. So I don't always date my wife well, right? I don't always relate to my wife well. I say things that aren't nice to her. I say things that are rude to her. I don't think of her as I ought. And I have to apologize. I have to admit that failure and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I should have let you have a night out already outside of hanging out with the kids. I should have seen that and observed that, and I didn't. I'm sorry that I let it get to this point where you're overwhelmed. I'm sorry that I haven't brought you flowers in a while. Like, I have to get to that point where I say, like, I'm sorry I haven't done that. And I have to keep pursuing. I have to persevere because all of life is perseverance. Right? So as some of you got really excited about pursuing Jesus passionately last Sunday and then you failed, what do you do? Do you pout? Do you punt? Or do you persevere? Paul is saying you persevere. You keep going even when you fail. It's like in the movie Batman, Alfred, right? He comes to Bruce and he says, Bruce, why do we fall? So we can learn how to pick ourselves up again. Right? Why do we fall? Why do we fail in our pursuit of Jesus? So we can learn that all of life is perseverance, that we need to press on, we need to strain forward. And then Paul says that we need to forget what lies behind. Again, in terms of thinking of the Olympics, of a race, that when you look back, what happens? You get caught. When you look back as you're running a race, if you look back, a couple things are going to happen. One, you are going to get caught, or you're going to crash. Right? You can't run looking back. And so Paul is saying, don't look back. Forget what lies behind. He's not looking back at his religion. He's looking forward to his relationship with Jesus. Whatever past you have, whatever past you walk in here with this morning, 
Paul's saying, forget what lies behind. Look forward. Don't let your past define your future. And listen, remembering, reflecting is a good thing, right? We just, I think that was one of the application points at the end of the message last week is to remember when you met Jesus. So you don't need to forget that. Psalm 77 calls us to remember the works of God. We need to remember and reflect. What Paul is saying is don't get hung up on your failures. Don't get hung up on your religion. Don't get hung up on your inadequacies. And let that inhibit you from going forward. Forget what lies behind. Move forward. Acknowledge it, admit it, and then move forward. Know that Jesus has more for you that he wants you to continue to persevere. And so that's the first thing we see is how do we respond to failure? How do we have joy beyond failure? Is that we persevere. We have a life of perseverance. We just keep going. The second thing we see is we have new perspective. Verse 17, look at verse 17. It says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And then we see the contrast. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. So we have this perseverance, and then we have this perspective. The first way we gain perspective is by following the example of other people who are persevering. Paul says, imitate me. He says, I'm pressing on, you imitate me. And you imitate the other people who do this. And he says specifically, those who walk. You see that? Those who walk, walk, not talk. In our society, in our culture, we love to talk about things. We love to act like we know everything, the books we've read. And that applies for Christians too, right? We love to talk about the little phrases, the cute phrases we know, the sermons we listen to, the ways we can package the scriptures, and we talk about those things all the time. But what Paul is saying is that there's more than that. There's a walk and that you want to find people in your life that walk this way. They don't just talk this way. You see it. You see a passionate pursuit of Jesus in their marriage. You see it in their job. You see it in their neighborhood. You see it in their family. You see it in their lives lived out. And this is rare. It's rare. Earlier in Philippians, we talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Right? Paul gives us two examples of people who follow Jesus, and he only gives two. He says, Timothy, there's not a lot of people like him. Epaphroditus, I'm sending him back. Why did he need to send back Epaphroditus? Have you ever thought about that? Why does he need to send back Epaphroditus? Aren't there other people in the church who can care for the people? Maybe, but not like Epaphroditus. There's maybe some people who are talking about Jesus, but they're not walking it. So this is rare. And I think for a lot of us, when we think about finding examples, finding a mentor, finding someone that can pour into our lives, we look for the total package. We look for the total package. And we just think, well, I'm never going to find that, so I'll just not follow anybody. But what I've seen in my life is that sometimes the total package exists, 
But more often than not, I learn from multiple people. Like this week, I met with different pastors. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I met with different groups of pastors. I don't normally do this uh, because I have my own people I need to shepherd and meet with. Uh, but this week, that's just the way my schedule went, and I ended up meeting with different groups of pastors Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Wednesday, I went to this pastor's luncheon, and it was more of the um, attractional ilk, if, if that makes sense. Attractional meaning we want to get people in on Sundays, we want to do a big show and make sure they come and new people come and people that wouldn't normally come to church, that they would come into our doors because we're doing some different things. That was this group of pastors. That's how we would kind of label them. Great guys, they all love Jesus, love the Bible. They just do things in a little bit different way. And so I went to this lunch with these guys on Wednesday. And we talked to, I talked to a few guys about Easter and just the different things they were doing for Easter to engage their neighborhood and their community and the people who were far from God. And I began to learn some of those things. I began to ask them specific questions. And then Thursday, I went and hung out with a different group of pastors. They would be, again, if we label them, they would be more of the charismatic lane. Right? They love Jesus. They love the Bible. But they are just more fired up about it than most people are, right? They have the Holy Spirit just like we do. And they believe some different things, right? And so I met with these guys. And it was interesting. I, I sat in a room with uh, about five of them, and we kind of just shared our lives and prayed for one another. And at the end, when it comes time to pray, um, one guy just said, well, let's, let's pray. And nobody said, like, hey, you start, and I'll close. That didn't happen. One guy just said, Lord. And then everybody else just kind of waited. And the next guy was just like, Jesus. And I was like, I don't, am I supposed to say one of those things? Like, I don't. I don't know what to do right now. And then one person finally launched into the prayer. And we didn't know, like, are we popcorning? <laughs> are we going to go around the circle? I didn't know that. Um, and so I, I was confused, like, because I just, I'm not used to that. And they were just like, man, the spirit of God is inside of us. We're meeting with God right now. We can just pray and talk to him. And we don't have to do that in an orderly fashion. And I, and I began to learn, like, man, sometimes I, I want too much of a process. Sometimes I want this too ordered, too organized. And I need to realize that I have access to the God of the universe. And I can just talk to him. And I can get with other people. And even on Sunday, this doesn't have to be perfect or systematized. But we get to meet with the God of the universe. And that was convicting for me, and I learned from that. And then Friday, I had dinner with a group of guys who have planted churches in Phoenix. And they would be of more of the incarnational lane. Incarnational meaning that the church moves out that the, the big gathering doesn't even matter, that the church moves out, it meets in groups and homes, that we get started with a core group of people, and we infiltrate our city for the glory of Jesus, that when you go to work, that you are Jesus to those people, that when you are in your neighborhood, you are Jesus to those people. And I got to meet with these guys who are planting churches in our city, and I was super encouraged by them. And I learned a lot from them of, like, how, how do you get your congregation, how do you get your people to not just attend church on a Sunday how does that happen? How do you mobilize them and equip them to go out and make a difference for the kingdom in their neighborhood, job, hobby, and family? How does that happen? And so we talked about the struggles in that, the wins in that, how to creatively do that. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I met with guys. Honestly, they wouldn't all hang out with each other. But just so happened in my schedule, that's who I was spending time with Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And by the end of the week, I wanted to hang out with you guys. I'll be honest. Enough pastors. But I learned so much from these different guys, 
from these different groups. They all love Jesus. They all love the Bible. We're all a little bit different. But I need all of those guys in my life as I lead this church, as I lead this family. I need different people, different examples in my life. How are you only looking for one person? Like, are you doing that? Are you looking around you and saying, man, I'd love to have somebody disciple me, but I have no clue who that would be. Well, are you in a community group? There's probably some people in there who could disciple you. Now, you may not go up to them and say, will you disciple me? Will you mentor me? Because they'll say, I'm not sure I'm equipped for that. But you can go up to them and say, hey, man, you love your wife really well. I don't know, man. It just seems like you have a passion for her and it it works itself out during the week. Like, what does that look like? How do you do that? It could be to another guy. Man, you, you make your career not about a career but about the kingdom. How do you do that? <clears throat> what does that look like? It seems like you don't love your job. It seems like it's not the most important thing in, in your life, but you use it for the glory of God. Can you walk me through? Like, are there some things you do in the morning before you go to work that help you in that way? What does that look like? You go to another mom who's in your group who's just like, man, you seem like you really love your kids. It's not perfect. But you just seem like, man, you're taking them to the park. You're reading devotionals with them. How does that happen? Right? And some of you with little babies, we have a lot of babies on the way. Some of you don't even have kids yet. You need to go to those other moms and be like, what does that look like? What does that look like at two months? What does that look like at two years? What does that look like at 20 years? There are those people in our church. They're not perfect. They don't have it all together. And in fact, some of them may be younger than you. You need to have the humility to go to them and say, I want to imitate you. I want to follow your example. Again, you don't have to use that language. You just say, I want to go get coffee. After lunch, after church today, instead of going to get lunch by yourself, you go get lunch with other people. Because you say, I want to have examples in my life, and it doesn't have to be one person. You go find it so that you can persevere, so that you can have a different perspective than yours. That's helpful and necessary in the Christian life if you're going to pursue Jesus in a passionate way that we're talking about. Verse 18 and 19, he transitions. He says that not everybody walks this way. Paul says this makes him sad. He has tears because many walks, many walk as enemies. Many walk as enemies. You need to know that there's ultimately two types of people in the world. There's friends of God. There's enemies of God. There's people who believe in Jesus. And there's people who don't. There's friends of God. There's enemies of God. He says that their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. What's he talking about? He's talking about hell. So you need to know this morning that if you don't believe in Jesus, that ultimately your end is destruction, that your end is hell. That may seem cruel to say that. That may seem cruel that God would say that. But you need to know that that's God's grace to you, that that's my grace to you even this morning, that you don't have to have an end that is destruction. You don't have to have an end that's hell. You can believe in Jesus, and you can experience a different reality. He goes on to talk about that reality, and he transitions to heaven. He says in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will do what? He's going to transform us. We're not always going to fail. He's going to take our lowly bodies and make them like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he says that this is the reason we persevere. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So there's a hell, but there's also a heaven. 
that if you don't know Jesus now, you can change that. You can believe in him. You can repent of your sin. You can say, Jesus, you did live the life I could never live. That I'm not perfect. You can admit your failure to God. You can give him all of your sin, all of your religion. You can believe in him because of his death on the cross for you, because of his resurrection. You can experience that also, and your citizenship can be in heaven. If that's you this morning, you can stop listening to me and start talking to God and tell him that now. This is the only way you persevere. This is the only way you pursue Jesus. Because you get a new perspective. It's a heavenly perspective. It's an eternal perspective that we find in Jesus. So that when we fail, if you do know Jesus, you fail physically, you fail emotionally, you fail spiritually, that that's not God's wrath to you. That's, a God, that's God's gift to you. Like some of you, when your car doesn't start, you just think, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you making it so hard? When you have conflict in your marriage, you think, God, why is she so difficult? Why is he so difficult? Why is it so hard to lead my wife? That's God's grace to you. He's letting you know you can't do this by yourself. He's letting you know that this isn't, there, this isn't all that there is, that there's something coming, that you weren't meant for this world that you have a home in heaven, that you can't do this by yourself because ultimately you're going to be with him, that your citizenship is in heaven. So Paul is making it clear that there's going to be a time where you see Jesus face to face. There's going to be no more tears, no more pain, and some of us miss that. We only see the struggle, and we just only ask that question, why? We only see the struggle right in front of us. And for a lot of us, it's like this, it's like this rope. This is... Um, a long rope. We need it to be forever long, like eternity, but it's as long as it's going to get. And so just imagine this long rope, really long, really, really long, but it's not forever long, but just imagine that it is. A lot of us take this long rope that is eternity, right? God has called us to know him forever, for eternity, called us to see things with an eternal perspective. We have this long rope, and we only see this right here. You see that? You see that? Mind the lights? We only see this right here. Right, so we're thinking about, man, that, that person said this about me, and I'm not sure how to respond to that. We're thinking, how do I get ahead in my job? How do I, how do I move from here to here? My car wouldn't start today. My wife said something that was cruel to me. How do, I, how, how do I manage this? And we're thinking just in the here and now. We have eternity that Jesus wants us to see and know that one day it's not going to be like this. One day you're going to go to be with me and see me face to face. And we forget all of that. And we just see this. We just focus on this. And God is saying, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. I want you to see what's coming. I want you to see the end result of this. I want you to see the bigger picture that one day you're going to be with me and that all of these things that get in your way right now are merely examples of how you need me, of how this is not your home of how your citizenship is in heaven, that he wants you to see towards that because that's when you can overcome the failures. That's what allows you to persevere, and you know this in your life. Like when you're having a tough day, but somebody comes along and encourages you, not with a pithy statement, but with encouragement in Christ, 
and to know that one day things are going to be made right. One day Jesus is going to return. And even through your pain and through your failure, he is going to conform you to his image. When someone does that for you, when you read scripture and that happens, man, that, that here and now doesn't seem so bad. You see a way out of it. You think, I'm going to press forward through this because one day I'm going to get this. Do you see that? That's what Paul is talking about. My daughter is learning the, the piano. And we didn't start her this way, but we should have. We started her with showing her flashcards, helping her learn the notes. We started her on the keyboard, right? This is how you move your hands across the keyboard. This is how you read music. This is how that works. This is how you play a song. That's how we started her. But you know how we should have started my daughter if we really wanted her to learn the piano? We should have taken her to a classical concert where one of the best piano players ever to play was playing. We should have taken her to a John Legend concert. And she said, baby girl, this is what you want to do. This is what's going to help daddy retire. So learn this, right? We should have taken her to come in here and see Dana win. I always say, Dana, just look at Dana. See how she strokes the ivories. Look at that, right? That's what you want to do. That's the end result. That's the bigger picture. That's ultimately where we want you to end up. And then take her home, flashcards. Take her home, the first Noel. Just a few keys. Just play that. And keep going. And when you get frustrated and when you feel like you can't reach that key because you have little tiny fingers, or when you feel like, I don't want to learn these notes on these flashcards, you think about Dana. You think about John Legend. You think about that classical concert and you think, it's worth it. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to press on. I'm going to persevere because this isn't all there is. It's the same way in our relationship with Jesus. When you have your hurts, your hangups, your mistakes, and your sin, you, you don't just dwell on that. You think about, ultimately, Jesus is changing me through all that. Ultimately, I'm going to get to see him face to face. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus is better than anything else, so I'm going to read my Bible. So I'm going to serve other people. So I'm going to confess my sin and move forward in the righteousness of Christ because he's worth it, because there's a bigger picture that I'm after. It's not just the here and now. My citizenship is in heaven, right? So in my house, in my life, and sometimes I, I get off work, and I'm tired, and I don't want to play with my kids. I want to watch Sports Center. But I have to pray before I go in my house and think about that. I'm like, man, what, what's greater, Sports Center or my kids? My kids. Why? Because I want to be a godly father. I'm not just a good father. I want to be a godly father. I want my kids to know who Jesus is. I want them to become Christians. I want them to serve Jesus their whole life. I don't want them to become pastor's kids who hate the church. I don't want them to just see me at church events and see me proclaiming Jesus and talking about all these grand things, and then when I come home, I'm sitting in front of the TV. I don't want that to happen. So when I walk in my house on most days, I try to play with my kids. Before I put them to bed, I read them the Jesus Storybook Bible. We talk about who Jesus is and what he has done. As my daughter has friends, and she comes home, and she's frustrated because a friend lied to her. We talk about what that means and why that happens and how she can pursue Jesus, that he's the only one who will never let her down. 
when we deal with our finances. We make margin in our finances so we can give to the church and give to other people. Why do we do that? Because we see an eternal perspective. Because we're not just looking at that segment on the rope. We're seeing how it just continues on and on, and there's a bigger picture that's worth it. And so we're going to cut margin in our finances so we can give to the church, so we can give to other people, to what God is doing, because it's worth it. We press on because of our perspective. We have perseverance because of an eternal perspective in Jesus. That's why I do those things. That's why you do those things when you do them. Because there's a greater joy, there's a greater picture that you're seeing, so you persevere, even when you fail. How do you experience a joy beyond failure? You persevere. You press on. How do you persevere? You have an eternal perspective. You see beyond the moment, beyond the here and now. You know that Jesus is better and worth it, and that one day, You're going to see him face to face. And you want to look on that day, you want to look back and say, man, I didn't waste it. It was all worth it. I pressed on. I overcame the failure because Jesus was worth it. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I I thank you that, that you persevered, that you were beaten, bruised, arrested, betrayed, that you died a gruesome death, and that that wasn't the end. That you persevered through that, even death. That you rose again, that you came back to life, that you conquered Satan's sin and the grave through your resurrection, that you persevered so that we could persevere, so that we could know that The story doesn't end in your death, that it ends in a resurrection, and that we get to experience that also, that we get to know you, love you forever, that that's your promise to us. And I I thank you for that. I thank you that today the call is not just that we white-knuckle this, that we muster up our own strength, but we look to your strength. We look to your perseverance. God, I pray that in order to do that, God, that you would give us a greater perspective, that we would see the long rope, the long time of eternity, that this life is short, eternity is long, and we don't want to waste it. And we would see that bigger picture to know what's coming, that you're going to make all things right, that we're going to get to see you face to face. God, I pray that we would actually stop and think about that. What it's going to be like to see you face to face, that on that day, we want to look back and say, I didn't waste it, that I persevered, that failure happened, but it didn't overtake me. I pressed on, I strained forward, that I pursued a relationship with Jesus, and it was worth it. God, help us to have that perseverance. Help us to have that perspective. Help us to have it in our personal lives. Help us to have it in our marriages. God, I pray in this church that we would have marriages that pursue you, that persevere, that don't quit, that don't settle. God, I pray that we would have families like that. I pray we would raise up a generation like that. God, that only happens by your grace. That only happens by the power of your spirit. God, I pray that we would want that to happen. I pray that we would desire that to happen so that our church is an influence not only for one another, but it's an influence in the city that points to you. Father, I thank you. I praise you for this morning. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray.